This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, with our circumstances this year, we, we certainly couldn't count on this, but we're going to treat it like a tremendous bonus. Uh, we're playing in a great game. We played in that game previously uh, a few years back when it was called the Emerald Bowl. And they do a fantastic job. It'll be great for everybody, our, our uh, school, our fans, our team. Uh, it'll be a great experience, great stadium, great area of the country, uh, and a great opponent. Uh, got a lot of respect for Jim Mora and the program that he's got going at UCLA. And that's at the stage here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett later will be joined here by Nate Klaus. As Nebraska's bowl fate was learned this week, as we know now, they'll be in San Francisco uh, over the Christmas holiday uh, to take part in the Foster Farms Bowl. It'll be uh, the earliest bowl date Nebraska has ever played in. The December 26th game um, played in Santa Clara at Levi's Stadium, which will also be home later this year to the Super Bowl. So um, a lot of cool things on that aspect. I think the only down thing for me would be the date of the game being so early. It, it kind of nixes out a lot of traveling. I think if you get this game on the 28th, 29th, you, you, you've got a better chance to get more Nebraska fans there. But it is a Saturday. It is the day after Christmas. It is a night game on ESPN. Last year, Nebraska played in this exact same window against USC, a Saturday night game on December 27th. And that drew a higher rating than the Peach Bowl did. I mean, it was a very, very high, highly watched window. And I think people are going to throw the records out the window. Uh, the brands of this game will still draw a good number, Robin. And I, I think when you look at it for Nebraska, they really couldn't have got a better uh, bowl uh, for the type of season they had at 5-7. and seven. Yeah, like you said, <clears throat> I think this is about best-case scenario considering where Nebraska was. Uh, you know, coming out of that Iowa game. I mean, you look at the other options that were initially thrown out. Uh, I'm sure, sure most fans would take a, uh, a matchup against UCLA over the a showdown with Central Michigan in the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. So, I mean, uh, things could have been a lot worse. And, uh, you know, you can make the argument that at 5-7, and seven, does Nebraska even deserve to be in a bowl game? But the reality is, here they are. They got a primetime nationally televised showdown against an 8-4 and four Pac-12 opponent. And uh, all things considered, I mean, this is a pretty good uh, situation. And, Dad, I got to throw this out before we talk more about the game. But, you know, the Warriors will be hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers on Christmas Day in the Bay Area. Yeah. And they could be coming into that game, I believe, with uh, 22 consecutive wins. Oh gosh, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna screw up this. It, it, they could be 32 and 0 coming into that game, so they could be looking to tie, I think, the NBA record for wins in a row going against Cleveland on Christmas. Unfortunately, since that's the day before the game, that will not be a team outing for Nebraska's players. I don't know if they even get tickets for that for that I, match. I looked it up because I was thinking about trying checking that out, and right now nosebleed seats are starting at about 300 bucks. That yeah, feels about right. <laughs> I, I pitched the idea to Steve Sipple, and he likes this idea. He's going to, I think, apply for a credential to write a Tyron Lue column. Um, get you in the door. That'd be awesome, yeah. That'd be great on his part. I think there's going to be quite a few credential requests for that, <laughs> for that game, that so game. he might be hard-pressed <laughs> to get one. But if he gets one, that would be a heck of an experience. But yeah, Steph Nebra Curry show. Nebraska will travel out on the 21st. They will have 12 bowl practices, theoretically, in 15 days. I, I did the math on that the other day, so really – um, once Friday begins here this week, Friday, Saturday, this weekend, um, they are just going to practice um, at a pretty rapid pace here, Dan. Well, it feels kind of odd that they haven't practiced already. Um, I think, you know, the coaches have 
really put in a high emphasis on getting out on the road and, uh, you know, touching base with some of the recruits and stuff before the dead period sets in. So that's maybe why we haven't seen that. But, yeah, uh, you know, if you're in Nebraska, that's probably one of the biggest benefits of making this bowl is just getting those extra 12 practices. That's basically just another spring ball for you right there. And I think you have to balance the value here. Um, You only get two weeks on the road, this week and the week before, before things shut down for a month. There are several midterm early enrollee guys that will make their decision here uh, probably by next week, early next week. And um, I think for the coaching staff – having the coaches out an extra day or two versus maybe having a practice say on Wednesday this past week, it's more value right now to them because I don't know what the, I mean, you, you win this bowl game, it's great for momentum, but I still think they have to build for the future and, and try to get some players. And we'll get Nate Klaus's take on that later in the show, but um, it's a different approach. Bo Pelini uh, typically probably would have had a, a few more practices by this point, but Mike Riley's chosen to go with a lifting and running strategy, and then they'll have a lot of practices here starting this weekend. Yeah, you got to kind of compare the value of what preparing for this game means and compared to uh, what the value of recruiting for the future means. I mean, right now a win gets you at six and seven with a bowl victory that you know most people said you might not even deserve to be in. So the, the, there's only so much momentum that a victory over UCLA is going to give this team when uh, compared to the, the efforts that they're putting on the recruiting front, which are really going to be the foundation of the future of this program going forward. Along those lines, guys, when you look at how Nebraska is going to approach practice over these next couple weeks, do you think they should continue to practice kind of as they have all year, or do you try and sneak in some more reps for some young guys, maybe some redshirt guys, just to get them that experience, whether it's you know the Davis twins or Eric Lee, Avery Anderson, or even you know some backups like Gerald Foster, do you get those guys some more reps as you look towards the future? My prediction is these first two practices, Friday, Saturday, they will be development practices where it's Nebraska on Nebraska. Uh, I think you have to start getting into the game plan, though, next week uh, when, when you have finals week. And that will be interesting. They're going to have – it seems like they're going to have a lot of practices on finals week um, or, you know, they're going to have quite a few. Uh, so that will be a lot of balancing and stress for a lot of the student athletes to manage finals and practice and everything else before they leave. Uh, to go out to San Francisco on Monday. I believe they're just going to have three practices out on on the road. But uh, I would think, Dan, two or three kind of development practices is is all they can really get in at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's probably when you you look at what the value of a bowl game was. You know, one of the big arguments for the importance of it was to develop those young guys. You get that extra month of team practice where the coaches can do hands on instruction as opposed to just turning it over to the strength and conditioning staff. I mean, uh, you can say what you want. That's extremely valuable, especially with so many young players that this team is trying to get developed. Uh, you know, having those extra practice, I think, will be invaluable. Well, and if you're playing January 1 a week later, it makes a huge difference. You, then you get about 15 or 16 practices in where Nebraska is only going to get 12. And then you can have more of those development practices. I'll never forget when Bill Callahan was the coach for that year in the Cotton Bowl. They had like a freshman scrimmage and um, Sam Keller at that time, you know, he couldn't go on the bowl trip. So they let him kind of have a live scrimmage during the bowl week and um, it was the, his final deal before going into the next spring where he took over the number one job uh, after Zach Taylor left. So that, you know, you can do it different ways, but uh, no doubt. Let's briefly talk about UCLA as you're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This team comes in eight and four. Um, you know, you look at some of their quality wins. I think Utah is the one that jumps out to me. 
Um, you know, they played a very tough non-conference schedule. Virginia was on there. Uh, BYU was on there. Uh, I think when the, the story of this team is Josh Rosen, the true freshman, the number one ranked quarterback in the country a year ago, a five-star, the number one player in California, the number two overall player in the Rivals 100, Dan, and you had a chance to break down the Bruins. And, and for a true freshman, Dan, when you look at Josh Rosen, this kid is pretty darn special. Oh, absolutely. He's 20th in the country in passing yards, completed almost 60% of his passes. He's clearly a really talented player. He's got some pretty good players to throw to. I do look at him, I wonder maybe if he's hit a little bit of a freshman wall uh, in his last three games, two of which UCLA has lost. He's down to 54% completions, two touchdowns, two picks, 260 yards a game. So he's been struggling a little bit lately. And I think, you know, you look at UCLA's season as a whole, they're kind of like Nebraska a little bit, and then they've been so inconsistent. They've got four wins over ranked teams. They've also got three losses to unranked teams. They were just blown out by USC in their final game. So I kind of look at you know this game and I say, is UCLA going to be up for this game? It's the day after Christmas. It's against a 5-7 and seven Nebraska team. What kind of effort are they going to give? What's what's their want-to factor? You're a SoCal team going to NoCal. I mean, that, that, exactly. That, that, to me, that... That it would be like Nebraska playing their bowl game in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, for those guys, I don't think they're going to be too too excited uh, to get a play in this game. So yeah, you're right. I think there are a lot of factors, uh, injuries. Miles Jack and Eddie Vanderhoos, two of the top defensive players for the Bruins, are not available. They're out. Um, that's another thing to watch. But Robin Jim Mora, you know, has proven this guy has become one of the better coaches in the Pac-12. Uh, Nebraska has played him twice. Um, back in 2012, 2013, they lost both those games. Um, so you, you know this is a, a quality coaching staff that's been around, and you know the, 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 this will not be an easy game. Yeah, both you know they won both those games and put up huge numbers offensively. I think at, at one point they were both record-setting uh, performances in one form or another. But uh, you know, like Dan mentioned, the inconsistency about UCLA is one thing to keep an eye on. I mean, not only have they lost two of their last three games going into this, but four of their last eight. And so, uh, I mean, they've been all over the board. They've given up 56 points, and they've sco- scored 56 points over the course of that span. Uh, so I'm curious to see which UCLA team shows up, especially like we mentioned, uh, with uh, not as much motivation as you normally would get for a bowl team. Well, much more to talk about here. We're going to talk about the Big Ten Bulls and where the other nine teams that are going bowling in the league will be in their matchups. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. So our experience, you know, is that really the fans aren't not nearly as preoccupied with the records as the media is. You know, we had Bobby Bowden of Florida State in here several years ago with a 6-6 six and six record. So nobody even knew what their record was and I suspect that for most of the people in the Bay Area at least they don't even aware of what Nebraska's record are they're just aware that it's a great program and they have a lot of close games this year and they always bring a quality team and welcome back here to the Husker online show that was uh, media director and spokesman Doug Kelly from the Foster Farms Bowl just talking about the matchup and maybe the view out there that this game's not that attractive well he said basically in the Bay Area no one on there even knows what Nebraska's record is. But what they do know is the history and the tradition of Nebraska and UCLA. And uh, they think it will be a good draw out there on a Saturday night. 
Uh, the record crowd for this bowl game is 42,268. Last year when Stanford was there, which is right down the road, uh, only drew 34,780. So I do think that this game has a fairly decent chance um, to break the record for the attendance of the Foster Farms Bowl. We'll, we'll see kind of how all that plays out. Uh, we wanted to take this segment here uh, with Dan and Robin to, to break down just some of the Big Ten Bowl games. Uh, let's just kind of go in order of days before Nebraska plays on the 26th of December. You've got Indiana uh, getting a long-awaited bull bid. Uh, they will go to the Pinstripe Bowl um, in New York and uh, Yankee Stadium to take on Duke. And that should be an interesting game. Indiana right now is a two-point favorite um, but that's one of those games, uh, you, you, you both alluded to this earlier, who wants it more, who wants to be there more. And um, you have to think for Indiana, they're going to be excited for their first bowl game. Well, it's, I mean, this is one of the games that uh, initially Nebraska was projected to go to. And it's a unique setting. I mean, you're playing a game in Yankee Stadium and it's a uh, you know, late December in New York City so uh, not your typical bowl destination but like again with like you said earlier Indiana I mean this is a rare opportunity for them to go to a bowl you know play on you know national television against a good Duke team that you know probably underachieved a little bit this year and so I think you know as far as motivation is concerned it's all with the Hoosiers you look Dan at the Minnesota they get into a bowl at five and seven they're going to be in Detroit in the quick lane bowl uh, they will play a seven and five Central Michigan game. Uh, somebody joked that they could have probably played this game in September yeah. <laughs> in the non-conference. Uh, the Gophers, a five and a half point favorite. Um, I think this is a game that they win handily. Uh, I think Minnesota at five and seven. You know, we've seen them play teams like Michigan close and um, Iowa close. Uh, this is a a team that's five and seven, but easily could be a lot better. I think they've played the toughest schedule of anybody in the Big Ten. I think you're right, Sean, and and they've had some really tough circumstances this year obviously with the whole jerry kill situation uh tracy clay's now filling in um so yeah i i, I think you're right i don't think they're going to be a whole lot of eyeballs on this one <laughs> this is not going to be one of the most watched bowl games but if you're minnesota you know you go in there get another bowl win it never hurts it's a monday at 4 p.m central time kickoff <laughs> on espn2 Yuck. um yeah, StubHub only has 48 tickets for sale, which tells you obviously how many tickets are still available through the actual ticket office. But, uh, but let's move on now um, to some of the higher-profile games. The Holiday Bowl on December 30th. That is an eight or 9.30 p.m. Central time on a Wednesday. So that is a late, late game for a Wednesday night. Uh, 9.30 Central, that's the late Pac-12 game. Uh, USC and Wisconsin, it's almost kind of like a Rose Bowl light. I mean, these are two teams that – um, could be in a Rose Bowl in a lot of years, and, and they're going to be playing um, in San Diego. I think for USC, you know, we saw how many fans travel, Robin, um, when they played in that game. It was basically a sellout, and I'm imagining uh, you'll get a really good crowd for this game as well. Oh, yeah, especially when it's just down the road. And one thing to keep an eye on here, there was a report uh, Thursday morning uh, that uh, USC is potentially looking at Wisconsin defensive coordinator Dave Aranda to take over as their D.C., so uh, maybe a little bit of an audition there to, to see how they matches up, uh, you know, against UC, USC's offense. So, uh, nice little fun storyline to watch in that one too. That will be interesting because he's been pretty loyal to Wisconsin, and I, I would look at the cost of living factor though. Um, your salary might be more at USC, but to buy a house out there, it's a lot more yeah, money. True. So that would be um, December thirty first. Next Big Ten game will be the playoff game: mm-hmm. Michigan State, Alabama, and you know I thought it was interesting, Dan, that they they flopped. Um, Oklahoma down to four 
Um, and that was big because really what it did was it made Oklahoma go to Miami instead of they, they were going to get to play Alabama in Dallas, which was essentially mm-hmm. a home game for Oklahoma. I think the committee did a little um, shifting there on purpose because um, it would have been a huge advantage for Oklahoma to get that home game essentially against Alabama in Dallas. Now you definitely get that neutral site feel. Michigan State, Alabama, you know, Nick's, uh, Nick Saban once was the coach in Michigan State. Mark D'Antonio has a lot of respect for Nick Saban, and um, this will be kind of one of those really physical games. Can Michigan State stop Derrick Henry? That's that's the big question right there. I think a lot of people, you know, when they look at this college football playoff, I think, you know, Clemson might be the number one team, but I think a lot of people consider Alabama to be the favorite. So Michigan State, they're going to have their hands full. They've played well. Um, hopefully, you know, these next couple weeks, you have Connor Cook's shoulder a little more time to heal up because even though he's been playing lately, he hasn't quite looked like himself. This is obviously going to be a huge challenge. Like you mentioned, Derrick Henry, almost 2,000 yards rushing, 23 touchdowns on the season. Kid's an animal. And the, you go on New Year's Day now, Robin, Northwestern in Tennessee in the Outback Bowl, an 11 a.m. kickoff on ESPN2. This one I'm excited for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how much this game's going to mean in Northwestern. I don't think they've ever had an 11-win season you have to think Tennessee at eight and four. I mean, this is an eleven a.m. game, so it's kind of an advantage. Northwestern's used to playing those early kickoffs, and you have to. I, I, you just look at Northwestern. I got to think Tennessee's players are going to be like, "Oh, we'll, we'll take care of these guys." But Northwestern, as we've seen firsthand, they will play hard, and this will not be an easy game for Tennessee. Yeah, this is a huge opportunity for the Wildcats. I mean, you could argue. I mean, while it's the Outback Bowl, whatever, this may be the biggest bowl game for. Northwestern since that Rose Bowl run back in the 90s. So uh, this is a huge opportunity, and I think all the motivation, all it's the very winnable game, yeah, is in Northwestern's corner here. So uh, I think we've seen Tennessee sometimes tends to overlook teams, especially you know when you know the the stakes aren't you know quite as high as they would like them to be. So I think Northwestern has a, a really legitimate shot to get to 11 wins. You got the uh, at noon that same day, Michigan and Florida, Dan, in, in the uh, Citrus Bowl in Orlando. There, and uh, I really like Michigan. I, I just I've seen Florida play; they are just terrible on offense. Yeah, I mean, they no. have nothing on offense. Goodness, and you know, I, I think I think this is a game that Michigan wins pretty easily. I think so too. This is kind of fun. This is the Resurrection Bowl. Two programs that have kind of been down the last couple of years, traditional powers, and they bounce back this year. But yeah, Florida. I mean. And I know it was Alabama in the SEC championship game, but they could get absolutely nothing going off. Well, they lost to Florida State the week before that, too. And uh-huh. they, they just they just they, don't have any offense. And they should have lost the week before to Florida Atlantic, I believe, or somebody you know had them, yeah. one of those yeah, FCS yeah, yeah, yeah. teams had them. But mm-hmm. that will be one. I, I'd be really surprised if Michigan doesn't win that bowl game. Agreed. Um, now, this is kind of more of a toss-up game um, at the Fiesta Bowl. Notre Dame, Ohio State. It's a 12 noon kickoff. That game also on New Year's Day. So uh, you're going to have to have some creative remote control work there with three Big Ten games all going on at one time. Um, three great games that everyone's going to want to see. Uh, but you, know, you wonder, Robin, is Ohio State going to be up for this game? Um, it's an early New Year's Day kickoff. 
They're disappointed they're not in the playoff. Their fan base is probably a little. So that that, that will be what I'll be watching, um, how the Buckeyes come out and respond to, to, to having a disappointing finish. And for a lot of teams, 11-1 in a bowl game against mm-hmm. Notre Dame would be a great finish, but not for Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're coming off that championship season certainly is going to play a factor. But you could also make the same argument for Notre Dame. I mean, this was a, a program that was once in the playoff talk and uh, you know had a couple, two tough losses, including one to the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, so they, they too, you know, had higher expectations for this season. And so uh, it's going to come down to which team is, like you said, more up for it. But uh, I think the fact that you have two national dominant brands in this game will help with huge that for, for both rating. sides. I mean, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, that's that's that you look at that matchup. That's what college football is all about. So I think any uh, you know thing about being upset about the playoffs will quickly go away as they start getting further into their bowl prep and realize this is an opportunity to, to really end the season on a high note for both teams. Rose Bowl, Dan, Stanford, Iowa. I think this is a great matchup for Iowa. When you look at you know, who they would have played in the playoff or even if they were in the Fiesta Bowl or whatever. Um, Iowa, Stanford, for them, I think they match up really well, and this will be a fun Rose Bowl to watch. I think they match up well, too, but they haven't seen anybody like Christian McCaffrey all year. Not that there are a lot of guys like Christian McCaffrey, but he's going to present a very unique challenge for them, as will Kevin Hogan, who Iowa hasn't seen any quarterbacks of his caliber this year, except for, you know, maybe Connor Cook in that last game. And he like was injured. He's injured. So they've, this is a huge, huge test for them. And then lastly, Robin, Penn State, Georgia, um, in the bowl formerly known as the Gator Bowl. Uh, I think they call it the Tax Slayer Bowl now. Um, but th- this will be, you know, Georgia without Mark Richt. I think Penn State has been a paper tiger all year mm-hmm. um, as far as, like, wins. I mean, Penn State hasn't really beaten anybody quality all season. Um, so this this will be kind of one of those um, contender, pretender games. I mean, you look at the wins for Penn State. Uh, their best win on the year is San Diego State. That is a good win for them. Uh, but in the Big Ten, Indiana, Maryland, Illinois. Um, I mean, those aren't impre- – in Rutgers, they have four Big Ten wins over four really bad teams. Um, so this is a big game, I think, for Penn State to prove that they are a better program than than maybe what their record was this year. Well, and you look at the losses Penn State had too; they're all to good teams. I mean, any even Temple, yeah, any notable opponent they've played, they've come up short. And so I think what this game is going to come down to, you know, regardless of what the coaching situation is for Georgia, is the athleticism. I mean, I don't I don't think Penn State can physically match up with the speed and just overall freak athletes that Georgia has. I mean, we we saw Nebraska struggle with that in the same way i mean when it comes down to it uh, in a situation like this it's what the playmakers do and georgia has more playmakers as good as penn state's defense is as good as christian hackerberg could be i think it's just going to be the number of athletes the bulldogs have is going to outweigh penn state all right that's your breakdown here on the big 10 bowl games when we come back uh, we will talk more about nebraska's loss to creighton their fourth in a row under tim miles and, and where things go next for nebraska basketball you're listening here to the husker online show This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I just thought that Creighton made those two runs at the beginning of the first half and the beginning of the second half, a 16-4 and an 18-4 run that were just critical, you know. We uh, weren't up to it right away, and then when we warmed to the fight, we got to within six, we score the first possession, I think, and then they go on another run. And and they got us a little bit of every way, whether it be in transition or uh, they especially hurt us inside all night. A team like this that has presence in the post and shooters on the outside, that, that always gives you opportunity to for a team to get on a run quick. I mean, one or two defensive errors gives you gives them two threes which is six points and you look down and it's six zero seven zero 
And back here on the Husker Online Show as Nebraska lost earlier this week to Creighton, 83-67, to the fourth time Tim Miles has lost. It's my understanding, Robin, has he ever beaten Greg McDermott? I think they threw up a stat in this game as we bring Robin Washington Hoppin back here in the show. His record against Greg McDermott was like 0-12. I mean, he's never mm-hmm. beaten a guy over his mm-hmm. career. And uh, you, you talked about this on Channel 7. The start was going to be critical, and sure as heck, Nebraska got off to a terrible start. Creighton shoots lights out, and they just never could recover from that. Yeah, wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, how many times have we seen this before? Creighton uh, uses the, the momentum from the opening tip, jumps out to a big lead, and Nebraska's forced to play catch-up through the entire game. I mean, that was exactly what the Huskers could not afford to happen, and it, it just played out. Uh, in, as a worst case scenario, I mean the, the fact that Creighton comes out and has one of their best shooting games of the season, uh, maybe the best shooting game of the season after two straight losses, including one to Loyola Chicago, where uh, most people that watched that game said it was some of the ugliest basketball they've seen from that team in a long time. It's just you know it, it's just fitting, and we shouldn't expect anything else. That you know Creighton was up for the game, came out ready to play. Nebraska was flat, nervous, and uh, couldn't hit a field. I think they were one for their first. One of 12, no, two of 12 from the field to start the game. I mean, it was just, you know, everything that could not happen for Nebraska did. And uh, it's been, you know, again, why we have the exact same result as we've seen the past five years. Dan, at least we had the stellar broadcasting crew of Carter Blackburn and and Pete Gillen, as you uh, oh my. tweeted so passionately about during the game. That was actually about the only redeemable quality for me uh, watching this game was just the entertainment value of how terrible these announcers were. I'm. I'm not trying to go too hard on Pete Gillen here, but the, he was doing the color multiple times. He implored Nebraska to throw the ball down into the post to Siobhan Shields and Ty Webster to take advantage of matchups. And it's like neither one of those guys is posted up in their entire college <laughs> career. What are you talking? And then he was saying Jacob Hammond should start shooting threes. I mean, it was just comical how little they had clearly prepared for this game and let's talk more about Siobhan Shields do you mention him Dan um I mean it's unbelievable how up and down he can be where some nights he looks like an NBA guy and against Creighton you know he, he couldn't even do anything it was six points is what he finished with Robin yeah six points on eight shots and he didn't take his first shot until late in the first half, like real late in the last like, five I mean, minutes. How does Darren DeVries, who drew the scouting report up for Creighton, how does he draw up a plan that just completely takes away a guy like that? I think, I mean, you just take away Siobhan's driving lanes and all of a sudden, you know, he's really just kind of handcuffed. That That's what he does so well. He drives with his right hand. If you can take that away from him, he's not a great spot-up shooter. He doesn't really have a great left-handed drive. I mean, he's a good playmaker when he's driving to the basket, but if he doesn't have that going for him, he's not a great playmaker. And I think Creighton, we've seen it over the last couple of years, has done a good job of taking that away from him. And he's an offensive foul machine. I mean, you see that so much. He gets kind of out of control sometimes. Where his body and his arms, Robin, will draw those off. And those are humongous momentum plays in a game where – you know, you think you're going to maybe get the contact for two, you know, two free throws, and it's an offensive foul. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks with Shimon Shields. Well, and those are calls that in previous years I think he's gotten, and now for you know, 
some reason the calls are going against him. And like you said, those are big momentum shifters because, you know, they're going from a potential and one situation to, uh, you know, a turnover and racking up the fouls and put, forcing him to the bench. And it's happened uh, more than one occasions over the course of this season where, uh, you know, if Siobhan, the things don't go well, he has a tendency to completely kind of phase himself out of the game. And we saw that uh, certainly on Wednesday night. And Robin, you mentioned the nerves maybe going into this game. You look at Nebraska's freshman in this game, Glenn Watson, 0 for 5 from the field, fouls out in 13 minutes. Jack McVeigh only plays 12 minutes. Ed Morrow, 10 minutes, three fouls. Michael Jacobson, he played 15 minutes, scored six points, but only had one rebound and was kind of beasted by uh, that Jeffrey Grizzell guy down low, who is not exactly an All-American himself. So Nebraska's freshmen, who were guys that they have to rely on this year, they really struggled in this game. Yeah, I, I called Dan earlier today about this. I, I still don't understand, Robin, how – you let a post guy like that catch the ball and turn towards the basket so easily. I mean, it's basketball defense mm-hmm. 101. You make him turn the other way. And mm-hmm. he constantly had the position and the drop step for basically just Dave Hoppin layups the whole game. <laughs> I mean, we watched your dad do that for his whole career. And they made this guy look like Dave Hoppin. Well, and, you know, the one issue I have, too, I mean, for one, if you're going to start a true freshman in Michael Jacobson who has pl- came in averaging about three minutes a game, uh, in that situation against that type of fifth center, year senior. against a fifth-year mm-hmm. senior who is arguably one of Creighton's best players this season, uh, you got to give him help. Nebraska did not double-team. They isolated Jacobson and whoever, Ed Morrow or uh, Jake Hammond, whoever was guarding him in the post, and just try to have him defend him one-on-one, and that doesn't work. You, you can't expect these guys who are, uh, everyone will tell you when Nebraska knows it, uh, basically inadequate big men right now when it comes to going against the, the best of the best, and uh, if they don't correct that, I mean, that's going to play Play them all season long. What do you think the Big Ten is going to do to them? I mean, you have to be able to find ways to compensate for your lack of size and post defense by using extra guys. And if that means giving up some open looks on three, so be it. You'd rather teams beat you with low, you know, perimeter shots than you know easy layups. Nebraska now three non-conference games left. A really big one, Robin and Dan here on Sunday. Rhode Island comes in, then you've got two presumably wins: Stanford and Prairie View A and M. So you're looking at a best case scenario of nine and four. Uh, going into the Big Ten, and we talked about that last week. Ten and three had been really, really nice, but now nine and four is is kind of the path you go down. And Rhode Island will not be an easy game here on a Sunday afternoon in Lincoln. No, and you know that the good thing is that uh, Rhode Island lost their best player. You know, maybe an Atlantic Ten Player of the Year and uh, EC Matthews to a season-ending injury, so they're going to be short-handed. And the fact that this game's at home, this is I'd say this is a must-win situation. Look back to last year, that Creighton loss at home. That was two losses because Nebraska came out completely uninspired and lost at home to Incarnate Word. This is a very similar situation. If Nebraska lets the hangover from that Creighton loss carry over into this game against Rhode Island, Rhode Island's going to beat them. And there's no question about it. They beat them so last year. They have to come ready to play because if they don't, uh, it could be uh, once again for the second year in a row the start of a slow, steady downslide for another disappointing season. When we come back, we'll switch, shift over to our stock watch segment and tell you who's trending up, who's trending down. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, and Robin Washett. We bring now in Nate Klaus as well to the program as uh, we move into our weekly stock watch segment, guys. And I want to start out with my stock watch for Up. Uh, how about Iowa fans coming out in full force for Rose Bowl tickets? And 
Um, not a shocker. I think uh, the committee as well gets a stock up for putting Iowa over Ohio State. They deserve to go to the Rose Bowl. It means more to them. They've had 39,500 requests go through their athletic department for Rose Bowl tickets. The allotment is about 28,000. Um, so you're, you're looking at upwards of forty to 50,000, if not more, Hawkeye fans in Pasadena Keep this in mind. Going into the year, they had just 36,000 season ticket holders back in June. So quite a turnaround in Iowa City for Kirk Ferentz. Dan Hoppen, who's your stock up? I'm going to go a little NFL flavor here. How about Will Compton? Uh, undrafted free agent a couple of years ago out of Nebraska, but he's really come on with Washington. He's second on the team with 71 tackles. He started their last four games. Um, he's got at least eight tackles in each of the last five games. He's playing really well and played pretty well on Monday night uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. Nate Klaus? I'm going to go with Nebraska linebacker coach Trent Bray. You know, this is a, the recruiting season is in full swing, and there's always a lot of good stories that come out of uh, the in-home visits and everything. And Trent Bray was in Detroit the other day, um, was able to see David Reese at, at his school, uh, went to another school to see David Reese's mother, then went to a different school where David Reese's father is a principal, uh, hung out the rest of the day until Charlie Strong got done meeting with the Reese family, uh, and then snuck back into their house to have a, another meeting meeting with the entire family together uh in all in all he's he spent over 12 hours um just for one recruit seeing them uh multiple times that day and uh it definitely made an impact with that family so uh trent bray uh using uh you know some some sneaky moves veteran moves on the recruiting trail robin wash it stock up well in a loss to creighton that didn't have a whole lot of any highlights for nebraska andrew white was that one glimmer of hope. I mean, he's playing some of the best basketball easily of his career. He had 28 uh, against Creighton, following up a 30-point performance earlier against Abilene Christian, averaging 29.5 points a game and 8.5 rebounds over those last two, including posting his first career double-double against the Blue Jays. He leads the team in scoring, rebounding, and steals, and he ranks fifth in the Big Ten overall with 17.5 points a game on the season. So uh, as bad as Husker fans might feel, the play of Andrew White certainly is reason for encouragement. All right, let's talk stock down. I'm going to start out with a former Husker here. Uh, we, we've talked about some former Huskers already, like Will Compton. Uh, stock down, though, Irving Fryer, uh, the, the standout receiver, maybe the best receiver of all time at Nebraska, along with guys like Johnny Rogers, um, is sentenced to uh, multiple years in prison uh, for a mortgage scam that he was involved in with his uh, mother that was 74 years old. They've been ordered to pay back $615,000 in restitution for their role in a mortgage scam. Um, and Fryer, you know, was a pastor at one time. He was the number one pick of the NFL draft by the New England Patriots in 1984. Not a good deal for Mr. Fryer, and he will be doing some time and uh, just kind of not something you want to see with any former Huskers. So sad deal. Sad, sad deal. All right, let's go stock down Dan Hoppen. Uh, Randy Gregory of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, second-round pick from Nebraska, had all kinds of potential, but just hasn't realized it yet. He got off to a really slow start with an ankle injury, caused him to miss uh, four or five games. But even since he's returned, seven tackles on the year, still looking for his first sack. 
This is not the production that the Cowboys hoped for when they drafted him. And they're, they're you know, the injury just killed him early yeah. in the year. I mean, he's one of those guys, Dan, I felt like he could not afford to get hurt. He needed to be playing and, and being involved. And you, you hope he bounces back, but yeah, it's not a good start. Yeah, and you do wonder maybe if he's not playing at 100% either, so that could be hurting him as well. All right, Nate Klaus, stock segment here. Stock down, who do you have? Uh, mid-year junior college cornerback uh, Maurice Chandler visited Nebraska for the Iowa game, uh, had things down between between the Huskers and Arizona State, and he ended up committing to Arizona State uh, this past week. And, you know, kind of a, a, a loss for Nebraska, definitely, you know, a hit for them because he's a mid-year enrollee. He's six foot, 190-pound physical cornerback that they wanted to bring in and have a little bit of a, a presence, be able to maybe make a run at, at locking down a corner spot or nickel spot in the spring, uh, but uh, kind of spurn the Huskers for Arizona State uh, and, you know, kind of mentioned the weather as being a you know one of the deciding factors obviously Arizona State also had a lot of opportunity with lose with them losing their starting corners uh, uh, to graduation but definitely a little bit of a hit for the Huskers surprise uh, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a surprise there. You know, right after the the weekend that um, that he visited, you know, I think things were trending for Nebraska. Uh, but for whatever reason, you, there afterwards, you know, maybe it was his head coach, former Husker Ryan Held, being hired by Scott Frost. Uh, you know, and being maybe taken out of the equation, out of that decision making process a little bit. Maybe that helps sway him to Arizona State, or maybe it was maybe it was just the the weather, the weather, and the the ability for him to basically walk in with a starting you know job right on the table uh, at Arizona State. All right, we close out stock segment here, stock down for Robin Watchett. You know, we touched on this earlier in the basketball segment, but the play of Siobhan Shields in that Creighton game was probably as disappointing as anything. I mean, this is a guy Tim Miles has been hyping up as, you know, not only an all-Big Ten caliber player, but a future pro in the NBA. And uh, future pros don't go three of eight shooting with six points and five turnovers. I mean, that, that, that just doesn't happen, especially in a game of this magnitude. Uh, uh, say what you want about Creighton game planning around Siobhan. Uh, the fact is, you got to find ways to score. You know, if you're going to pack the zone and prevent drives, you got to beat him from the perimeter. He shot one three-pointer and missed it. Uh, you know, he leads the team in turnovers at this point. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty shocking uh, just, you know, how good we know that he can be that he can just be a complete non-factor in a game like this. And it's been the same case uh, the last four years. I mean, for whatever reason, Siobhan just hasn't risen to the occasion uh, against Creighton, and it's cost Nebraska severely. Yeah, with his play uh, the other night, Robin, he wouldn't even be drafted in the North Korean League. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was the Dennis Rodman uh, League over there. <laughs> over there and played. So that's a close to our Stockwatch segment. Yeah. We come back, we'll bring in Nate Klaus and talk more recruiting as Nebraska puts a wrap here on the early evaluation period here in the month of December. Uh, we'll get the full breakdown next. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online radio show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as Nebraska's coaches are, Nate, putting a wrap here on the road um, for what has been maybe one of the busiest Decembers we've seen covering Husker recruiting in a long time as far as just ground-covered prospect scene, head coach out on the road, um, you know, typically Nebraska could maybe slide in a few bowl practices here over this week or last week, and they didn't. I mean, they have kept everybody out on the road, Mike Riley included. 
Yeah, they've been extremely busy over these first two weeks of the the contact period, and I think maybe the most impressive part of it all has been, you know, Mike Riley and, and how many homes that he's been in. I think it's an interesting you know, strategy because the head coach only is able to to make one visit during this entire contact period leading up to signing day, and we've seen the Huskers kind of pull out all the stops and send Mike Riley in first, try to set the bar with a lot of these in-home visits, which I think they've done, and they've sent multiple coaches so it's you know for instance Mike Riley you know uh, Mark Banker Trent Bray and a handful of other you know coaches making an in-home visit right off the bat like I said setting that bar high um, showing these kids and their families how much Nebraska wants them especially with a lot of these guys who are going to be making a decision sooner than later. All right let's talk early enrollees first here because that's kind of the first thing on the timeline that's going to happen here over the next five to seven days for Nebraska. Um, they, Mike Riley, earlier this week, I asked him on a, a conference call for the bowl game, how many early enrollees can you take, will you take? And he said anywhere from three to four. And we know two of them, Darian Graham, the wide receiver out of California, who was just elevated to a 5.73 star, I believe, on Rivals this week. And then Patrick O'Brien, a Nebraska standout quarterback recruit. But, Nate, two other early enrollee names to watch. David Reese, the linebacker and Markel Simmons, a junior college safety. Yeah, David Reese, the, the uh, former Michigan commit out of Farmington, Michigan, uh, just officially decommitted uh, from the Wolverines this past week, is taking his last official visit to Texas this weekend and will be making a decision here shortly. His birthday is actually on December 16th, so that's kind of the plan for him to announce a decision right around the birthday. And I think Nebraska's sitting in great position with him, and, and he could very well be the linchpin um, you know, for for, for the remainder of this class. There's a, a group of guys that have all visit, visited for that Michigan State weekend, and they're all talking about potentially coming to Nebraska together. They're all friends. Uh, one of uh, David Reese's best friends is Desmond Fitzpatrick, the, the wide receiver out of Michigan. And uh, I think if they get you know, one, you know know David Reese, he could be the one to, to really set dominoes um, you know to fall Nebraska's way. Uh, and the other one is Markel Simmons, another kid who visited for that Michigan State game. He's uh, the three-for-three junior college prospect out of Pima Community College. Um, You know, Nebraska sees him as a guy that could come in and, and, you know, push for playing time at that safety position, you know, right off the bat really so those two guys could could really infuse a lot of talent um you know into to nebraska's roster for the spring but also really kind of get the ball rolling as we close down you know come down the home stretch for uh for recruiting you mentioned simmons a three for three december guy i mean that, that's maybe one out of every 50 juco guys i mean you don't see the three for three december combo too often yeah, I, I would say probably not even one out of every 50 i think that's one out of 100 or more because that is extremely rare and and he made a he made a tough decision this year to to actually redshirt and sit out after playing his freshman year at Pima and take over 24 credit hours this fall to get done and to get done early and be able to have three years remaining and, and be able to go through spring ball and, and it's paid off you know he's going to be making a decision between Nebraska and TCU Utah Oregon State are still kind of in the mix but I, I think from talking with him it's definitely down to Nebraska TCU and um, you know he's he's told me he's pr- been praying a lot kind of waiting for a sign from 
God, been talking with his family an awful lot. Uh, and he's a, he's a great kid. He's very smart. Uh, he looks at things and analyzes things, um, with, with a fine tooth comb. And, and I think that he's going to be, um, you know, the type of guy that's going to make it, make a great decision. We'll see if it's for Nebraska or not, but uh, I can tell you that, uh, he's definitely, you know, putting a lot of thought and effort, uh, into, uh, this decision. You're listening here to the Husker online show. Let's talk some other Husker storylines. One that always comes up on the message boards here on Red Sea Scrolls, Nate, and, and other blogs and reports out there is about JoJo Dome and uh, Nebraska's linebacker commit, uh, safety commit out of Colorado, uh, the two-time now Colorado Defensive Player of the Year. Um, been rumored to, to be visiting Colorado. Will he be visiting Colorado? And should Husker fans be worried? Well, he was defensive player of the year as a junior, the overall player of the year as a senior, and he will be taking a, a visit to Colorado. And I think the Buffaloes have really you know pulled out all the stops uh, to try and get that you know arguably the top player in the entire state, top prospect in the state uh, on campus. Um, you know, and not lose him to to. Nebraska, especially after they lost Eric Lee and Avery Anderson to Nebraska last year. Jack Stahl. And Jack Stahl is committed in this class as well. So Nebraska has been able to clean up with some talent in the state, and I think Colorado's you know going all out there. Now, I don't think that Nebraska has too much to worry about. I think that, um, you know, I don't want to call this a, a token visit or a courtesy visit, but you know, I honestly, I think it, it kind of is. I, I think that, uh, you know, Craig Doman is a, is an agent in the state of Colorado. I, he represents uh, players and, and some people that are associated with the university of Colorado or used to play there. So I think that there's a lot to, there's a going political, a little political. I think, um, again, I don't think Nebraska has a whole lot to worry about here, but obviously anytime a kid takes a visit, you, you do get a little, uh, a little nervous. All right. Rivals 100 defensive back Lamar. Mar Jackson, uh, he had a whole host of Husker coaches visit him this week. Yeah, arguably, you know, the top defensive back prospect that Nebraska is after, maybe the most talented guy uh, that Nebraska is after, you know, to, or wanting to add to this class, hosted uh, uh, in several Nebraska coaches, close to half the defensive staff. And then uh, Keith Williams was also in the home along with uh, head coach Mike Riley this week. And they made a great impression. Nebraska's really made a strong push with him, going from a team that, that really wasn't even – on his top 10 at the beginning of the fall to all of a sudden being, you know, considered arguably his, his overall leader, especially with USC having fired their defensive backs coach, who was the lead recruiter for, for Lamar Jackson, you know, this whole time. So I think USC is, is probably third on his list. It's between the Huskers and Oregon. He's going to be making a decision here shortly because he's making his announcement with Bleacher Report. They're doing some type of video. So there's a lot of production that's going into this video. They have to, to kind of, put down a, a plan on when is he a hat guy nate he's not a hat okay, guy he's a video right. guy this is the new trend with some of these highly recruited kids is they, they make a, a whole video production to announce where they're going to school so uh, instead of doing a hat ceremony he's doing a video production but but because of that i think he's gonna have to decide here short you know very soon because they they have to get this whole crew they have to get everything lined up to to film and make this production so um nebraska you've seen them right before the dead 
period begins. They pulled out all the stops. They sent the whole family in there. Now, the interesting part of all this is Keith Williams, the, the wide receiver coach, his cousin is the head coach of the seven-on-seven team that Lamar Jackson plays okay. for. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> so that is what's really allowed Nebraska to try to really get in the mix here, and they've been able to really sell uh, you know, Lamar and his family on the fact that, you know what, it, it's a family atmosphere. You go to Nebraska, you have an opportunity to play right away, uh, make an impact early on in your career, but also you're going to be taken care of. Even though you're halfway across the country, um, there's a lot of connections there. And Mike Riley, Keith Williams, Brian Stewart, the whole staff are, are men that are going to uh, really mold him and, and take good care of him away from home. And I think that's been a huge selling fact. Anything new on Matt Farnett? Just give me a brief update if there's anything new to share on him. Not a ton new. He's going to be taking visits. Uh, obviously, already visited Nebraska. All, all reports are that that went extremely well. I think it's the Nebraska and Iowa uh, battle at, still at this point in time. But he says that he's going to be taking visits to uh, Iowa, Michigan State, and Florida State. There's uh, initially wanted to make an announcement at the U.S. Army All-American game, but I think that's going to be pushed back you know, probably mid to late January is when he's going to decide. But at this point in time, I feel very good about Nebraska's chances. And then lastly, Nate, uh, just give us a rundown of the names coming in. Just a quick recap or, or a preview of the official visitor weekend here. The final one Nebraska will have until uh, mid to late January. Three players expected to be on campus this weekend. Start with cornerback uh, Tony Butler out of uh, St. Edwards High School in Ohio. Just wrapped up a state championship. And, uh, and he's an interesting kid too because he's really good friends with Desmond Fitz, Fitzpatrick, David Reese. Uh, and these are guys that have been talking about going to the same school together. So uh, he would be able to, to provide Nebraska uh, with uh, with some depth there at the cornerback position. He's a big kid, 6'2", 200 pounds. So really the, that big physical corner that they're looking for. Royce Newman is a 6'7", 260-pound offensive tackle that's committed to, to Missouri. You know, after Gary Pinkle uh, retired or resigned, he, uh, he really kind of opened things up. And, and Coach Mike Cavanaugh has been able to develop a great relationship there. He would be able to, to provide Nebraska with one of those three offensive tackles that they're looking to add in this class. Um, you know, and then Cameron Good is an interesting prospect. He's a linebacker, commit, um, committed to Cal out of Texas, though, which is kind of strange. But um, I think that at this point in time, he could be kind of a backup plan just in case Nebraska does lose out on David Reese or if, if something strange happens with JoJo Doman. Well, thanks, Nate. I think I speak for everybody. Uh, great job by you and Mike, uh, Mattia, and Brian Munson and the entire recruiting team of just keeping Husker fans up to date these last two weeks because this is a very, very intense time, and, and I guarantee you, you will not find better coverage of what's been going on the last two weeks in recruiting than what you find from Nate and the recruiting team here at Husker Online. And that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 